Alright folks, here we are for episode 13 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. Going solo again this week, and we'll be talking about the NFL Draft a little bit more, and what's it take to build a dynasty? And if we look back at the 2011 NFL Draft 10 years ago, at the top five teams picking that year, where are they now? How often have they made the playoffs? Have they won the Super Bowl? Have they been to the Super Bowl? What that says about the draft process and how to build a team. Before we get into all of that, I want to give you a preview of next week's episode. First of all, it'll probably come out on Wednesday. And when it does, we'll be talking about South Carolina football's spring game, which would have happened on April 24th, that Saturday. We'll briefly discuss the Clemson spring game and probably the Alabama spring game as our game of the week. Once we get into season two of this podcast, we will start doing during football season weekly previews and reviews once we get into this season of the Gamecocks, the Tigers, that's the Clemson Tigers, and a game of the week. So with that format in mind, we'll start off at the spring games, looking at Carolinas, looking at Clemson's, and our game of the week will be Alabama. So let's get into what we want to talk about today. Last time, I talked a lot about the fact that drafting a quarterback in the top five of the NFL draft really hasn't been a great indicator of success in the modern era. One of the things I quoted um, from previous research was that only two times has that quarterback gone on, if you were drafted number one overall, to go to the Super Bowl and win with the team he was drafted by. Troy Aikman, who we're going to talk about today. Peyton Manning, who we won't talk as much about. But I recently realized, when you look back all the way to the 1970s, at 1970, the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted Terry Bradshaw, number one overall. Not only did he win one Super Bowl with the Steelers, he won four. And that's going to take us into the first part of our discussion today, which is teams of the decade. And how do they become that way? So let's look at the Steelers of the 70s. Four Super Bowl wins, 1974, 1975, 1978, 1979. Most commonly known players from that team from that era. Of course, I just mentioned Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth. I can't go past an OL without talking about at least one guy. Mike Webster, Hall of Famer, tragically at the end of his life, um, dealt with some repercussions, um, probably most likely associated with CTE and concussions he sustained during his career. L.C. Greenwood, Mean Joe Green, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, Mel Blunt, and Donnie Shell. That's from offense and defense, obviously. When you look at these guys and when they came into the league, where they came into the league, I mentioned Bradshaw in 1970 was first overall. But when you look at the rest of this team, you have some pro um, excuse me, some first pro uh, first rounders, there we go, that are on the team. But when you look at some of the stars, some of the guys that made huge differences, you have second round, you have third round, you have 10th round. 
Now, in the 1970s, you could make the argument that scouting and recruiting and things of that nature were hampered by a lack of access to folks sometimes at small schools, be that a small high school or a small college. Of course, there were racial barriers. There were a lot of things that could have led to a player not getting noticed as easily um, as they might in the 2000s, the 2010s, the 2020s. So that is just something to keep in mind. But, um, you know, overall, we don't have a set. Everybody was in the first round. And, you know, you have guys who were first-rounders. Lynn Swan, first round, 21st pick overall. Franco Harris, first round, 13th pick overall. And Minjo Green, first pick, fourth round. So these guys have, you know, the, the Steelers drafted well and went into the modern era with Santonio Holmes, Ben Roethlisberger, um, the list goes on and on. And finding um, undrafted guys as well. James Harrison comes to mind, just to name a few. So it is a continuing process for the Steelers. They have dominated. And when we talk about them being a team of the 70s, they're going to go on in the 2000s, in 06 and 09, to win two more Super Bowls. So, I mean, all, we all know you have, you have somebody you know who is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. They are national. They are not a regional team by any stretch of the imagination. Everybody knows the Steelers. Everybody recognizes their colors. Everybody recognizes their logo. Uh, it's just something that doesn't have to be a slightly above average football fan to know about. You know about the Pittsburgh Steelers, kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. Um, as much as I hate to say that. Now, another team everybody knows about is the 49ers of the 80s. <clears throat> 1981, 1984, 1988, 1989. <clears throat> and, of course, they go on to win again in 94 with Steve Young at quarterback. Of course, famously, everybody knows Joe Cool, Joe Montana at quarterback. Roger Craig at running back. Dwight Clark at wide receiver, John Taylor at wide receiver, Jerry Rice on the OL, Randy Cross, a stalwart, a stud, Charles Haley later in the uh, 86 draft. So he was there for nine, 1988, 1989, and then jumped ship over to the Cowboys to pick up a ring or two there. Ronnie Lott, Mr. Toughness, the man who said, so it's either surgery on my finger and I miss the rest of the season, or you cut it off and I can play next week. Yeah, go ahead and cut that thing off. <clears throat> Still one of the toughest stories you'll ever see. Of course, Montana famously overlooked third round. You have Jerry Rice, who was a 16th pick overall. And you've got other guys, but... Charles Haley, an absolute physical specimen and freak of a football player. In the fourth round, 96th overall pick. That just tells you, again, we're talking about, I think this was 1986 he was drafted. Again, um, access to college football, access to high school football wasn't as much, but that was when your scouting department made so much of an important impact. You didn't have YouTube, Instagram, Facebook Live, Twitter, all this stuff, all these different, which are great. I love a lot of the, the guys I follow on Twitter who, who put out stuff about small school prospects. I, I think it's awesome that they do that. I'm not 
downplaying that, but I'm just saying that didn't exist. So in order to have been noticed, you had to have a great scouting team. Of course, the 49ers, as I mentioned, are going to go on to, in 1994 to win the Super Bowl with Steve Young at quarterback and, you know, really a great team, that 94 team, but they are known as the team of the 80s. Now we have a team that's difficult for me really to discuss as an Eagles fan, but I'm going to do it, the Cowboys of the 90s, 92, 93, 95. And you got to be honest, and I'm sorry, Cowboys fans. Um, I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a shot, but you knew that I'm an Eagles fan. It's an indictment on Jerry Jones that this roster didn't win more Super Bowls. I mean, they won three. I get it. I get it. Him driving Jimmy Johnson crazy to where he quits, steps away from the game, comes back to the Dolphins, steps away again. It's an indictment on Jerry Jones as a football owner that this team only won three Super Bowls. You've got Troy Aikman at quarterback, Emmitt Smith at running back, Daryl Johnson, probably one of the best fullbacks blocking-wise to play the game, Michael Irvin, the playmaker, Jay Novacek, and then the offensive line, Oh. My goodness, as an offensive lineman, I have to stop and talk about this. This is one of the best OLs of a decade. They were the doomsday line. I know you had the doomsday defense they talked about. Of course, you had in the 70s, the steel curtain. I kind of skipped over that, but we all have heard about that. But this line, Mark Tooney, Nate Newton at center, Mark Noski, Noski, <laughs> Stepanowski, sorry, uh, difficult last name there, great player, undersized, a guy that even as much as I didn't like the Cowboys when I was a football player and coming up, I really looked up to him. He was a guy who was so undersized, but playing at the top level and playing really well, just a, a truly great player. Kevin Gogan, and then later Larry Allen, and then Eric Williams, big cat, at uh, the other tackle spot there. That is a truly dominant offensive line. No disrespect to Emmett Smith at all. The all-time leading rusher in the NFL. He's had accolade after accolade after accolade, and, and justifiably so. But in the last pod, I talked about the one football player I've ever seen who could do it by himself, and that was Barry Sanders. I've always wondered, and it's a debate you hear over and over again, what would Barry have done behind this line? My man, think about that. Barry Sanders, instead of having to make cuts two yards deep in the uh, backfield, so he's missing, so there's not a loss of yardage, what if he's making that cut in the secondary with the linebackers and the safeties? How many yards would he have got? It's unbelievable to think about. And then you go to defense. I mean, holy moly. Russell Maryland, Leon Lett, seventh round, 173rd pick. There's a diamond in the rough. Charles Haley, we talked about him, drafted by the 49ers originally. Ken Norton Jr., Neon Dion, primetime, primetime coach, Jacksonville State coach, Dion Sanders. And 
Darren Woodson. You have other guys, Larry Brown uh, at corner, uh, at wide receiver, Alan Harper. He was uh, Alvin, excuse me, Harper. He he did a lot um, with this team as well. Interesting about this team, you've got two first round, first overall picks, Troy Aikman in 1989 and Russell Maryland in 1991 at defensive tackle. So you know, there's top of the draft players that made an impact, but that's two. Did you hear all the other guys I listed? Oh, by the way, that great offensive line, three of them, the three stalwarts, were undrafted. Tooney, Newton, Stepanowski, undrafted. Undrafted. Stepanowski, undersized. Dominant. So there's the team of the 90s, the Dallas Cowboys. Again, we're not seeing a trend. We've got undrafted players, third round, sixth round, seventh round. When you look at the 49ers, you've got third round, second round, fourth round, and I didn't even list all the guys on that roster, all the guys who started and played impact. Um, You know, there's so many guys. Dwight Clark, John Taylor as well at wide receiver going back to the 80s 49ers. And these guys weren't highly thought of coming out of college. So then we get... We're going to go 2000s, 2010, because obviously 2020s have just begun. Here's the thing. It's the Patriots for both decades. 01, 03, 04, 3 in the 2000 to 2010 decade. 14, 16, and 18 in the decade from 2010 to 2020, which we just, you know, wrapped up. So as much as I'd love to look at another team here, you can't really do that with what's been going on here with the Pats. Um, Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, you had the Steelers of the uh, 06 and 09 championship teams, the Ravens in 2000 with the best defense since the 85 Bears um, and then again in 2013, that famous Super Bowl against the 49ers, Harbaugh versus Harbaugh at head coach. The um, lights go out in the Superdome in a weird situation there. Ravens come out on top. So you have two other teams in the 2000s who win two, but the Patriots have won six. You know, again, I can't not take a shot at the Cowboys and and not winning more than they did in the nineties with the team and the talent that they had and not take a little bit of a shot at the Seattle Seahawks and Legion of boom and all of those things that came along because as good as they were, they won that first Super Bowl. They go back for a repeat help the Patriots because become a team of two decades because they can't finish the game. They make the, inexcusable decision to throw the ball on the goal line when you have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. I'll never, I I might do a full pod on why that was terrible. Like I can't to this day understand it. I don't care if you're a kid playing NCAA football on PlayStation or Madden on foot on PlayStation if, if it was a 10-year-old, you give the ball to Marshawn without thinking about it. And I mean, 
it's just it's still mind-blowing it's been years but i just can't get past that Un- unreal so of course the patriots tom brady a litany of runbacks that did really great things at wide receiver again troy brown david padden um wes welker um julian edmund and edmund all of edelman sorry i'm struggling tonight all of those wide receivers, interchangeable parts that did great things, but, you know, we, I think we've come to realize, we've talked a lot about this season, Tom Brady, what he's now doing in Tampa, what he did in New England, changeable parts with one consistent thing, Tom Brady throwing the football. Gronk on the offensive line, Matt Light, um, Damian Woody, other guys on that line as well that were really, really good. On defense, Vavril, Vavril, Teddy Bruschi, Richard Seymour, Willie McGinnis, Ty Law, Lawyer Malloyer, Rodney Harrison. It goes on and on. Great players, great teams. But when you look at this, of course, Brady, the most famous example, sixth round, 199th. You have guys in the third round, guys in the sixth round, guys in the second round, all across the board. So what does that all mean? Well, what it means is it's really, really hard to build a dynasty in the NFL. When you look at the teams that have done it, it's been a couple of key things. Great talent, Hall of Famers. They aren't all drafted in the right, well, early is what I should say. But Hall of Famers, just the same. Obviously, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, two late-round picks. You know, guys like that. Undrafted free agents who went on to be Hall of Famers. Late-round picks like a Charles Haley. That was truly dominant. Freak of nature, unbelievable. So what does that tell us about what you have to do to be a dynasty or, or have a consistently winning contending team talents number one talent evaluation and it goes to show it doesn't matter where you draft a guy if you draft the right player with the right mentality the right skill set for your scheme things of this nature you're going to have success now piece number two team chemistry if you get a chance and you haven't already read i believe skip bayless wrote it It's called Boys Will Be Boys. It's about the 90s Cowboys, them becoming what they became, and then them unraveling. And it went off the rails. Chemistry, lack of accountability really did them in. And guys just losing focus um, really did them in. And so it's talent, chemistry, accountability, toughness, staying healthy not having major injuries, being quote-unquote lucky. Because in the game of football, more than any other sport, every single play, somebody can get hurt. And in their season, if not worse. Every single play, no matter what. There's 11 guys out there on each side, 22 total, that are hitting, twisting, falling strange, falling on top of each other, jumping in the air in some cases. And that leads to injuries. So if you can make it through a season with your top stars 
relatively healthy. You know, the old saying in the NFL is by about week, I think, five or six, no one's 100% healthy. And by the time you get to the playoffs, you're banged up. But there's a difference, and it's a fine line. And we've learned a lot about this in the past decade or so between being hurt and being injured. You can play hurt. You shouldn't play injured. That line got blurred at times, particularly with head injuries and things of that nature. So I'm not trying to advocate for that at all. I I think it's great that every level of football is trying to protect players, keep their health in mind. But there is something to that toughness factor. And then the last piece, getting a little bit of good luck. Steve Spurrier used to always say, sometimes the ball rolls your way. Football's a weird-shaped ball. It doesn't always roll the same. Sometimes it rolls your way. You know, he used to say God uh, smiled on the Gamecocks today when he was in Columbia. And that's sometimes what you need. And obviously, when you win, particularly back-to-back or four, three, or six, over a, you know, 10-year, 20-year, 15-year span, it's not just luck. But it does sometimes take that. Um, and it can take bad luck to, to not be a dynasty. You know, Kansas City Chiefs this year go back to the Super Bowl after winning the Super Bowl. And they have a lot of injuries, particularly on their offensive line. And for my offensive line brothers out there, it went to prove no matter how good, and I don't like to call them skilled players. I've finally come up with a name for it. Your high-profile players, the guys who catch the ball or run the ball or throw the ball on offense anyway, they can't do it unless they're Barry Sanders without a very good offensive line. Maybe don't have to be great. You don't have to be the offensive line of the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s, which would help, but you got to be good. you got to be consistent. you got to be able to move guys. There's nothing harder in sports than a grown man, 300 pounds, right around it, coming across the line, and you're trying to move him in the other direction, or you're trying to control him as he pass rushes. If you can do that, you got a better chance of winning the game. Kansas City Chiefs had a lot of injuries on their offensive line. The pressure the Bucks were able to get on Patrick Mahomes really impacted that game. Tom Brady played a good football game. Tampa Bay's offense played a good football game. Defense had a good scheme. Being able to pressure the quarterback with four guys was really what made a difference. So sometimes you're lucky to stay healthy. Sometimes you're unlucky and guys get hurt and it prevents you from being that dynasty. Also, you've got guys who will go sign elsewhere or you got to bring in a guy, you know, top free agent, you know, that can help you out. Again, that goes back to point number two chemistry accountability how's the chemistry working you know and uh during the last stand uh bulls series that went on during the pandemic with michael jordan and all the bulls talking about their run of six it talked about how hard it got as you went one further and further guys losing focus guys not wanting to work as hard some guys leaving to get more money you can't blame people for that. You, you try to make as much money as you can. This is what happens. And so, you know, you got that factor as well. All right. So what's that say? Well, you got to be a good talent evaluator. You got to be a good evaluator of personalities 
or building a culture that those personalities will bend to. We hear all the time about the Patriot way. Now, Brady and Gronk, since they left, have said, wow, you can do it <laughs> in a much less stressful way, let's put it that way. Less intense, I don't know. A little bit more fun. That's what they learned when they were playing in Tampa and won. But the Patriot way has worked six times. And they've been to the Super Bowl three more times in the modern era. Losing twice to the Giants and once to my Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. But... So can you build that culture? Can you build that culture of accountability? Any successful organization, doesn't matter if it's football, sports, business, whatever organization you're running, there has to be a level of accountability that everyone's going to do what they're supposed to and be focused on the mission. And the Patriots, since 2000, have been able to do that. Of course, now with Brady gone, and they really struggled a couple uh, the year before, it's starting to deteriorate, but you can't not acknowledge what they created. Now, of course, Bill Belichick has become the ultimate, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, as Junior Johnson used to say over in NASCAR. Uh, you had Videogate, you had Deflategate. Um, you've had multiple times where the Patriots have been accused of stealing signs, taping their opponents, you know, some gray areas to say at the best, some shadiness. Um, but you know, they, they've paid the price on those things when they've happened and they've continued to be successful. Well, time will tell if one of the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady was the reason for that. And obviously he was a huge reason of it, but is he as or bigger of a piece than that than we thought? Was it Belichick in the Patriot way or was it Tom Brady as a leader and as a football player? Very interesting um, to, to talk about and debate. You know, and the other thing about these dynasties is I went back and, and did this research. It's easy to see how some of these teams got known for their personality of the franchise the steel curtain in pittsburgh the 70s you look at those names i listed off lc greenwood mean joe green jack ham jack lambert mel blunt donnie shell and that's just the, the biggest names of the steel curtain and now the steelers have been known for ever as a defensive football team and they've had good offenses. Terry Bradshaw's in the Hall of Fame. Lynn Swan's in the Hall of Fame. Franco Harris is in the Hall of Fame. Jerome Bennis is in the Hall of Fame. Ben Roethlisberger is probably a Hall of Famer. Heinz Ward is in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, they've had a good offense, but they are a defense-oriented organization. Then you look at the 49ers, and you've got Montana, Young, Roger Craig, Ricky Waters, Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, John Taylor, Dwight Clark. You've got all these offensive guys, and they're known for the West Coast and putting up big points and now Kyle Shanahan's offense. And they've had good defenses, good players, but they're known for what they can do on the offensive side of the ball. <clears throat> when you look at the quarterback, I'm sorry, the Cowboys of the 90s, they were sort of the ultimate team, other than the fact that they kind of lost their way off the field. Again, 
sorry, I'm going to keep saying it, an indictment on Jerry Jones. Because Jimmy Johnson, he may have let those guys get, with a lot, get away with a lot, like he did when he was at the U, but he kept them in check enough. They were ready to play. They were staying, for the most part, out of trouble. And the fact that that group only won three is almost inexcusable. Really should be a podcast on its own, which I'm sure it already has been. But it may be a future episode for us as well. And I just talked about the Patriots and what they've done during the 2000s. All right. So, I think this goes to prove the draft and where you draft guys isn't always an indicator of success. It may be that you get a guy in the sixth round or the seventh round or undrafted that's going to have a huge impact on your team and then winning a Super Bowl, multiple Super Bowls. It's about talent evaluation. So let's take a trip back in the time machine with Doc Brown, Marty McFly, Einstein the dog, Flux Capacitor, and let's go back to 2011. First five picks in the 2011 draft. First pick, Panthers. Second pick, Broncos. Third pick, Bills. Fourth pick, Bengals. Fifth pick, Cardinals. Okay? Since that time, since 2011, the Panthers have been in the playoffs four times. 2013, 2014, 2015, 2017. Played in the Super Bowl in 2015 against the Broncos, who they lost to, with the Panthers being a very good football team that season. They went 15-1 and in the regular season, <clears throat> looked really, really good, um, and then had some injuries, had some other things, maybe some loss of focus, whatever the case may be, but lost to the Broncos. Second pick, speaking of the Broncos, five playoff appearances that year in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2015, Super Bowl 50, they beat the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton and a really great defense and some good skill players. Of course, they bring in the sheriff, Peyton Manning, who after a neck injury seemed to be done or at least very close to done, so the Colts had to let him go. Go pick up Andrew Luck. Peyton sits out. All those things. So it's not necessarily that they drafted great. Now they did. This year they got Von Miller in the second draft, in the second pick in the draft in 2011. Great player, still a great player. Really huge impact on the 2015 Super Bowl team. But of course, quarterback. They were picking second. They didn't pick a quarterback. They picked a linebacker. Defensive end, Von Miller. All right, third overall that year, the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. <coughs> They've had three playoff appearances since that that draft, 2017, 2019, and this past year. No Super Bowl appearances. The Bengals picked fourth. Five playoff appearances. Five in a row from 2011 to 2015, haven't been in the playoffs since. And in those playoff appearances, didn't make it past the first or second round, um, mostly the first. The Cardinals picked fifth. Two playoff appearances, 2014, 2015. Somewhere after 2000, 
11, I can't remember the exact year, they draft Joe, or excuse me, Josh Rosen, and he falls, he fell, he falters. Now they have Kyler Murray, drafted number one overall, who's doing very well, rookie of the year, uh, offensively. So <coughs> they've had a mixed back of success. And so all this goes back to say, again, it's about talent evaluation. Let's look at this year's top five. Of the top five from 2011, one team is picking in the top five again. The Cincinnati Bengals pick at number five. Ten years ago, they were picking at number four. Last year, they picked at number one with Joe Burrow. The Bengals traditionally struggle and traditionally not great talent evaluators. Kelly Smith, other busts come to mind, and you see them perennially since the 90s in top five, top eight, top two. Then you look at the other starting in reverse here. So, well, actually, we'll go from the top. Panthers pick eighth. So they're they're looking to draft potentially another quarterback. You know, could be Trey Lance, could be Justin Fields, could be Mac Jones or some kind of a skill player to make a big difference on their offense with Matt Rule and Joe Brady and what they're trying to do. But they're still in the top ten. The Denver Broncos, who picked second, are picking ninth this year. Again, still in the top ten. The Buffalo Bills are picking 30th. So they've done a fairly well, good job. Now, it took them a little bit. Had the third overall pick. In 2011, didn't get to the playoffs until 2017, but now have two back-to-back playoff appearances, seem to have their quarterback of the present and the future in Josh Allen, and really are building on successes and look like a team that could be somebody to reckon with in the AFC. Then you have the Bengals. I mentioned them already. Picked fourth. This year they're picking fifth. And the Cardinals, who... Picked 16 this year, but I already mentioned they had a high draft pick with Josh Rosen. I think he was third overall. Um, Obviously, Kyler Murray at number one overall. So, Cardinals, again, have they done well? Talent evaluation, historically, it's been a struggle. So, you see these teams, and you look. And when you look at the Cowboys, they're picking 10th. You look at the Pats, they're looking to trade up to get a quarterback. The 49ers did trade up to number three to get a quarterback most likely. I mean, pretty much definitely. It's just a matter of is is it Mac Jones, is it Justin Fields? So this leaves us to the draft is not always and really rarely is a great indicator of success talent evaluation building a culture of accountability and winning getting a little bit lucky being tough that's hard to do particularly for sustainable periods of time but the number one thing talent evaluation you have to have talent you can have the best chemistry in the world you can have a great culture again the New England Patriots are a great example Bill Belichick's still the head coach there he's still leading the ship He's still got his way, that Patriot way, 
they aren't winning near as much. You need talent. So let's take a look at the 2021 top five. Jags, the Jets, the 49ers, the Falcons, and the Bengals. Of those top five, who is the most likely or closest to being a contender on a regular basis or potentially the next dynasty? Well, you got to look at pick three. 49ers, they traded up to get that pick, so they, they weren't in the top five to begin with. They feel, their fans probably feel, that quarterback is the spot that's holding them back. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, they didn't. he didn't have a great Super Bowl two years ago when they were in there, and, and so they've got to be thinking, okay, we got to get our franchise quarterback, our next Joe Montana, our next Steve Young. And is it Mac Jones? Is it Justin Fields? Now, again, several episodes ago now, Perry Worth talked with me about how good he thinks Mac Jones is going to be at quarterback. Perry Worth knows a whole lot more about playing the position of quarterback than I do. So I'm not going to disagree with Perry. So if they take Mac Jones, is he the quarterback of the future? There's also some mock drafts out there that have him dra- dropping the below the top five, and the Patriots trying to trade up to get him. So is he their next Tom Brady, who he gets compared to a lot? And so can he do that? And then Justin Fields, great athlete, great quarterback. I want to be clear about that. I think he is a great quarterback. You know, you hear comments about he'll after his first read isn't there, he'll take off and run. That's the double-edged sword of being able to do that. Having that type of speed, that type of elusiveness to get out of the pocket and run by yourself. I've said it before, Steve Young talked about how it was hard to learn not to do that all the time. That he felt like early in Michael Vick's career, it hindered him. If his first read wasn't there, he could take off and run, probably get a first down, more, and move the chains. So why wouldn't you do it? And how that can be a hindrance to the development of a quarterback and reading progressions and becoming you know, a more complete quarterback. That doesn't mean Justin Fields can't do that. Doesn't mean Kyle Shanahan can't teach him how to do that. It just means that it's a double-edged sword. He played in the offense, Urban Meyer, that looks like Trevor Lawrence is going to go play in some version of that the jury's still out, still out on if that's a successful breeding of quarterbacks to be solid pros. You know, Urban's two biggest quarterbacks that played the position in the NFL, Alex Smith and Tim Tebow. Alex Smith has had a lot of success, had an amazing injury return story with all that happened with him. You know, Tebow had one year and was really drafted way too high. And, you know, Josh McDaniel trying to be flashy and, hey, look how good of a coach I am. I can take Tim Tebow and make him, you know, and y'all say his game won't fit the pro game, but I'll, I'll do it. And then that experiment ended kind of quickly. Tebow's a great athlete. Tebow's a great quarterback, great leader, great college quarterback, I should say. Um, obviously one of the most successful, if not the most successful college quarterback of all time. But he wasn't a pro. <clears throat> Terrell Pryor. Started off at quarterback, moved to wide receiver. 
So the question has become, or should become, what does a quarterback who played in Urban Meyer's system in college look like in the pros? Justin Fields is that next person to, to have that chance. So it doesn't mean you can't go on and be a great pro quarterback. People lately have been very critical of Gus Malzahn's offense and, and how it prepares you for the pros. Say what you want to say about Cam Newton. He's been rookie of the year. He's been offensive player of the year. He's been MVP of the league. He's played in a Super Bowl. He's been a good pro. So it doesn't mean you just because you don't play in a quote-unquote pro-style or pro-ready offense that you can't go on to be a great pro quarterback because you can. So we'll have to see what happens there. But obviously of the top five, you've got to think the 49ers are the most likely opportunity to become a contender because they already kind of are or potentially a dynasty if they catch that lightning in the bottle and get the right quarterback. Now, if you think, you know, you got the Jags, they're taking Trevor. That's obvious. You got number two with the Jets. They're going to take Wilson, Zach Wilson out of BYU. That's obvious. The 49ers, one of those two quarterbacks most likely. The Falcons are in an interesting spot. Do they draft Matty Ice, Matty, Matt Ryan's potential replacement in like a Trey Lance? Or do they get Matty Ice a great weapon on the outside or mismatch, so to speak, with like a Kyle Pitts, who can be a very good complement to Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and all the guys they have at weapons there at, and on their outside on the offense. So the question becomes, which way do the Falcons want to go? Do we take this skill player to give Matty Ice, Matt Ryan, another shot at it? Or do we go ahead and draft the QB of the future? And if we do, is that Trey Lance? Trey Lance is a physical specimen. He's played in a pro-style offense. We just talked about Justin Fields not doing that. Lance it's done the exact opposite, very pro-based at North Dakota State. So could he be the QB of the future? You're betting your house if you do that on 17 starts in college, very difficult. Now, the Bengals, Joe Burrow, looked very good his rookie year. Got hurt, hurt his knee. Those knee injuries now are not what they once were and how they can really impact you, but sometimes it still does. So they've got T. Higgins, a wide receiver, bring in some offensive line help, something like that. Are they on the verge? We'll see. So, I guess the answer to the question of how important is the draft is we don't know. But the question, or excuse me, the answer to the question of how important is talent evaluation is it's the most important. Or maybe you just get lucky and you get Tom Brady, sixth round, 199th, and he goes on to win you six Super Bowls. Who knows? Hope you enjoyed it. Definitely rate, review, share, subscribe. Next week we'll be coming out on Wednesday most, like, most likely to talk about spring games, breakdowns, and that'll most likely be the last episode of the season 
before we come back for season two early August to get ready for the next coming football season. Hope you've enjoyed it tonight. I've enjoyed doing it. Talk to you soon.